Today's reading is Acts 9, verse 1 to 20. It's on page 1102 of the Church Bibles. Please read along in your Bibles. It won't be on the screen, as there will be some pictures that will go with the story. So again, Acts 9, verse 1 to 20. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He replied, Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men travelling with Saul stood there speechless. They'd heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind. He did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision. Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying in a vision. He has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their king and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, Something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptised, and after taking some food, regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Now it's time to listen to God's words. Um, so today's subject, the, the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, is um, it's one of the most important chapters in the Bible, actually, one of the most important events in, in the Bible, uh, because Saul, who became Paul, wrote one-third of the New Testament. We, we're here today because of Paul, the apostle. He went to all the main cities of the Roman Empire and took the gospel west, and we're here as Christians today because of that. So this is very, very important, and uh, I want us to look at the text. 
if you have it open before you on page 1102. We're going to ask the question, first of all, who was Saul of Tarsus? And we're going to see a few things in the first two verses. So the verse, first verse says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. So Saul was an angry man. He'd been angry for quite some time. When Luke, who writes this, says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats. He's just talked about the explosive growth of the church. Acts is divided into three. Part of it is in Judea, part of it is in Samaria, and part of it is at the ends of the earth. And the gospel has just been spreading and spreading, and Saul is angry about this. He's furious about this. He sees this as pollution, that this new way of Jesus is a cult, and he is angry about that, and he wants to stamp it out. We also know that Saul was a Pharisee. Later on in the New Testament, in Philippians chapter 3, Paul talks about his background, and he says that he was from the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, and in regard to the law, a Pharisee. Now, Pharisees took the Bible, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, extremely seriously. And they wanted to protect what they saw as the true religion. And so Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples because he saw them as polluting this, this true religion. We're first introduced to Saul in chapter 8, verse 1, when he was overseeing the stoning of Stephen, the execution of Stephen. We're told there was a young man called Saul that oversaw this and made it happen. And then a couple of verses later, it says, Saul began to destroy the church. The word used for destroy, limayonomai, is normally spoken of a wild beast. So this is Saul ravaging the church like, like a wild beast. Uh, so this is, this is a man who is being compared in his anger to a wild beast. Why is he like this? Well, he thought that he was obeying God. Saul of Tarsus was very much like a mullah. He wanted to protect the Jewish religion from this growing sect called the Way. A hadith of Muhammad goes like this. Whoever changes religion, kill him. And that is how Saul felt. Someone who changes their religion from the true religion of the one God and is encouraging people to, in another religion, they should be, they should be killed. They should be exterminated. And this text is inspiring Islamists all over the world today. If you go to sub-Saharan Africa, Nigeria, where Boko Haram are influential, infidels are open to extermination. And for Saul to joining the Christian sect, it was like joining the enemy. It was blasphemy. It was treason. And that's why he was so angry and so passionate or zealous. That's the next thing we notice about 
Saul, he was zealous. Uh, Look at what it says here at the end of verse 1 into verse 2. He went to the high priest. That was a big deal. The most important man in, in Israel, the high priest. And asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. That's in another country. He was so zealous that he he was prepared to cross borders, go to the capital of Syria, and arrest men and women and children and drag them back in bonds to Jerusalem where he could sort them out. So he didn't need to do that, Saul of Tarsus, but he was a man of action, a passionate man, not a lazy man, a zealous man, but a fanatical man. But we see also that, and this is our theme today, he he was in bondage to his anger, but also to false religion. Even though Saul had the true scriptures that reveal the true God, he was in bondage to nationalism and fanaticism. Now, humans have always been nationalistic and tribal and religious. Richard Dawkins is wrong that religion will soon be exterminated. No, religion is growing. People are becoming more religious. But there is such a thing as false religion inspired by our our enemy, Satan. And I, I say that because false religion enslaves people. There are many people who could come up onto the stage here this morning and tell you how false religion enslaved them and their families and still continues to do so. But the true God of this world wants to set people free from these bondages and set them free from human laws and slavery to restrictive false religion. See, false religion stifles the human spirit. See what theocracy has done in Iran, banning people from enjoying themselves. Even communism, which has no religion, is like a religion in itself, stifling the human spirit, suppressing freedom of speech, suppressing freedom of expression, freedom of movement, having re-education camps, propaganda, indoctrination. And Saul of Tarsus was, was in this. He was enslaved and it made him a persecutor. So, what happened to him on the Damascus Road? Well, we we read about that in verses 3 to 9, the next bit of the story. There's three things that happened to him. There was a light, there was a voice, and there was a blindness. So, first of all, have a look at verse 3. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He was stopped in his tracks by this dazzling light, so bright that it knocked him to the ground. Later on, Paul describes this light as brighter than the midday sun, which in the Middle East is extremely strong. In fact, actually, one of our young people um, has damaged their eyes uh, by looking at the sun for too long, poor Oscar Bradbury. And then uh, uh, Saul heard a voice, verses four to seven. He heard a voice, he fell to the ground, 
and heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. I guess Jesus spoke to him in his heart language of Aramaic. He spoke to him personally. He spoke to him clearly. He spoke to him directly. And Jesus identifies with his followers. To persecute his followers is to persecute him. To be with his followers is to be with him. But what Saul realized there and then is, this Jesus is alive. This Jesus who I thought was dead and crucified on a cross. No, just as the Christians said, he is risen and ascended and he lives and speaks today. This is what Saul realized on the Damascus Road. But then he was struck by a blindness. Verse 8, Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they had to lead him by the hand into Damascus. <laughs> I think there's some irony there, because Saul intended to enter Damascus with his shoulders back in full pride and pomp and power and prowess and self-confidence as the opponent of Jesus Christ. But he was actually led in by the hand, humbled and blinded. He went to arrest Christians, but he himself was arrested by Jesus Christ. He went to make captives, but he was captivated by Jesus Christ. What do we learn from this? Folks, there is nobody beyond the reach of Jesus Christ. I'd love to, uh, it was on the bookstall actually, there was a book called A Wind in the House of Islam. It's an amazing book that records the conversion of mullahs and imams and Muslims all around the world. Another book, The Son of Hamas. Has anyone read that book? That records the conversion of the son of the Hamas leader, Mossab Hassan Yusuf. But in this last year, we've heard extraordinary stories in our own church. We've baptized 30 Iranian brothers here. And all of you, all of your conversion stories are special. Anyone who has come from death to life, who's repented and believed in Jesus, has a story to tell. Because the good news sets us free. But some of the stories we've heard lately have been almost as miraculous as the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. And that is because Jesus is alive. And he's still setting people free today and turning their lives around. A few weeks ago, I introduced you to Saman. Saman, your parents are very religious, aren't they? Your father, very religious. Every week as a boy, Saman had to go to the mosque and sing. Can you, can you show us what you would do? <laughs> Just a little. Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar, Allah 
So, so every, every, every day, as a small boy, Salman was led into the mosque. He had to call people to prayer. He had to sing. And he was crying because he felt so sad in the mosque. Um, if Salman could speak really good English, he could tell you how Christian worship is so different, how it's setting him free. That music made him very, very sad. Uh, now Salman is, is a musician, and he, he wants to make joyful music to make people happy. And that is what Christian worship does. It drives out fear, and it drives out anger from our spirits. It's a means of grace. Jesus is still setting people free today, like Mossan, like Salman, like many people here. So what did, what did Saul of Tarsus become in Damascus? Again, three things very, very quickly. First of all, he became befriended. We see this in verses 10 to 17. Verse 10, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. Ananias is one of the forgotten heroes of the Christian faith. I'll skip down a few verses. Verse 15, the Lord said to Ananias, go, because God had told him to go and speak with Saul of Tarsus. But speaking with Saul of Tarsus was like turning yourself into the secret police. It was like turning yourself in to the Mutawa, to the mullahs. Because this, this man wanted to murder him and take his wife and children as prisoners to Jerusalem. But he does go, and you know the first words that he speaks to Saul? The first words that Saul hears from Christian lips? Brother Saul, verse 17. Brother Saul. This is the man who wanted to kill him, to drag his wife and children to prison in Jerusalem. But he, he gives him words of warmth and welcome. And verse 11, Ananias finds Saul praying. And he befriends him, and he welcomes him, and he brings him into the church family, the house church in Damascus. Folks, friendship is so important in our Christian journeys. Christian friends make all the difference. For young people particularly, pray for good friendships on this camp that a lot of our young people have been on in Filingthorpe and are coming back, uh, traveling now as we speak. I know in my own story, it was vital. I went as a non-Christian to University of Leicester. It was vital that I had Christian friends who prayed with me, who introduced me to good books that there was no embarrassment with about talking about faith, who I went on holiday with, who I walked the West Highland Way with. Folks, we need space in our diaries for friendship. And of all, all of us, when we come to church, let's put aside the grumpiness and let's seek to have words of warmth and welcome, like this forgotten hero of the church, Ananias. It makes so much difference. The first thing that happened to Saul in Damascus was he was befriended. The second thing that happened was that Jesus made him a chosen instrument. Verse 15, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before Gentiles and their kings. 
and before the people of Israel. That's what Saul of Tarsus became, Paul the Apostle. Apostolus means sent out. Apostle with a capital A is somebody who has seen the risen Jesus. Very few of those, and they were responsible for writing our New Testament. And so Saul became Paul, the chosen instrument to take the gospel into Western Europe via all the big cities of the time, Antioch, Corinth, Ephesus, Philippi, and to Rome itself, my chosen instrument. And then Saul also became equipped for that by the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, verses 17 and 18. Verse 17 is quite mysterious to me, but wonderful. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. This laying on of hands is a gesture of love to a blind man who could not see the smile on Ananias' face, but could feel the loving warmth of his touch. And the Holy Spirit did come into Saul and empowered him for a lifetime of preaching and teaching and suffering. Do you know anything about the Holy Spirit filling you and empowering you and changing you from the inside? That's what a Christian is. I long to know more of this. But the Holy Spirit healed him of his blindness, both physically and spiritually. And he could see in every sense. And next he was baptized and he had a good meal in the house church in Damascus. Well, this is the beginning of the new life of the man who became the greatest Christian missionary. This is the conversion of a fanatical beast of a man who was breathing out murderous threats against the church. But the wolf became a lamb and then a shepherd. And this story, I think, is very good evidence that the Christian faith is true and that Jesus is alive. Because Saul had everything to lose from becoming a Christian and nothing to gain. Saul was a rational, gifted, brilliant man, a speaker of many languages, eloquent, educated, a Roman citizen. Why would he make this up? He was not deluded. He met the risen Jesus Christ on the road, and it changed his life, which means this is true, Christianity is real, Jesus is alive. And this is what repentance and faith still does for a person today. It, it makes us free and human again. It turns us from that bestial aspect of our character and sets us free from anger and violence and false religion. Is there anybody here in this building this morning who needs to be set free from anger? Maybe that anger is something that you have endured in your past, 
in your family and it's affected you. Maybe it bubbles up inside of you, that anger and frustration, and you need to be delivered from it. Maybe you see that anger in your parents or that anger in your spouse or that anger in your workplace, and you want to be delivered from that. Fear and anger are very related. Anger makes us fearful, but it is true worship of the true Christ that sets us free. This is the good news. And the good news of this passage and this story is that nobody is beyond the reach of Jesus. There's no human being who cannot be set free and saved. There are many souls of Tarsus in our world today. There are scores of people here in the building who have literally fled from Saul of Tarsus. In some cases, it's their own dad. In some cases, it's their dad's friends. In some cases, it's their employers or their government. And often, these fanatical souls of Tarsus are people who are zealous, who are rich in natural gifts and intellect and energy and personality and drive. They are utterly sincere, but they're sincerely mistaken. And they're traveling from Jerusalem to Damascus, breathing out murderous threats, rather than from Damascus to Jerusalem with good news. Maybe there's someone like that in your own family. Someone who's hard. Someone who's angry. Maybe you think of them now and begin to pray for them. That same grace that brings a person to new birth is able to transform anyone who calls on the name of Jesus. There is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. But if you are in Christ, the old has gone, the new has come, you're becoming more human. The band are going to come up now and we're going to think about our own conversion story. We're going to sing, thank you for saving me. But as we are about to do that, I want you to think of your own story of faith. How were you befriended? How did you hear the Lord's voice? How were you stopped in your tracks? We're going to take communion in a minute, and communion is an opportunity for examination and celebration. So you can examine your own story, and you can thank God. Maybe you're not a Christian yet. Perhaps this is the time to open your heart to hear the Lord's voice. You too can be set free. You too can know this being set free from anger that grips you false beliefs that entangle you. There is no other name given among heaven by which we must be saved. Thank you for saving me.